Welcome back to the show, everybody. You are listening to episode 23 of the Health Unchained podcast. Have you ever struggled to collect the past 5, 10, or even 20 years of your own healthcare records? Oftentimes, for most people, this experience feels like a scavenger hunt with nobody on your team. We depend on our providers to store all this information, but it becomes useless if it's kept sheltered in different EMR silos. In this episode, Matt Cinderbrand, co-founder of BetterPath, describes why comprehensive longitudinal health data should be owned and managed by the individual. New York-based BetterPath was founded in 2011 and has registered a couple patents related to health data processing and management. As data inputs increase with better technology, we will be generating tons of contextual information that will affect our health and well-being. We discussed the vision for his company and the healthcare industry of the future. I would like to thank my guest from episode 22, Brennan Hodge of Citizen Health, for introducing me to Matt. Thanks, Brennan. A quick reminder that if you are a healthcare provider, payer, or administrator without a technical background and you still want to understand what blockchain is all about, you should check out a new online Udemy course meant to teach non-technical people about blockchain's implication on healthcare. The simple course includes sections on cryptography, consensus mechanisms, smart contracts, and how they all apply to the healthcare industry. You can even take the course on your phone and you'll be able to get a certificate when you complete it. The course is normally $200, but you can get it for $75 if you use promo code HEALTHUNCHAINED, which is one word, HEALTHUNCHAINED. You can find a link in the show notes. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is co-founder and CEO of Better Path. And Better Path is trying to develop this consumer-directed exchange for healthcare and the healthcare industry and allow consumers to directly own their own data as well as creating new marketplaces for people to uh, exchange information and data that is valuable. So we are here with Matt Cinderbrand. Matt, thank you so much for joining. Thank you uh, for the invite, Ray. Pleasure to be here. I think the first time we I saw you pitch at uh, Distributed Health in Nashville, so uh, nice pitch there, and uh, you know, thanks for coming on the show. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about you know Better Path, how you got started, and a little bit about yourself and how what brought you to this path? Yeah, uh, it. it you know, the, the events that led me down this uh, path, uh, no pun intended, um, rather the best thing to ever happen to me or the worst. I can't decide which. Uh, it, it happened back in the early 2000s, actually. My, uh, my sister was diagnosed with a, uh, a chronic autoimmune disease. It was really the first time that my family had experienced any part of the health system that wasn't just general primary care. Uh, what we realized was that her doctors were attempting to treat her without access to 
really any of her information. Uh, we ask a very simple question at that moment. Uh, can you compare Alexandra, my sister, to other patients that look like her to determine who had the most effective treatment path over the long term? And the doctor kind of laughed and said, well, wouldn't that be nice? And, you know, back in 2005, 2006, that was obviously a very difficult thing to do, um, mostly because the barriers were technical. Uh, but now, 10 years later, 13 years later, that those technical barriers have fallen, we still struggle to create uh, these longitudinal data sets that can show us what treatments work best for who, when, and why. And so we, my family got a little carry away, I would say. Uh, we started this company, Better Path, in 2011 um, and filed a patent, which was awarded to us. Basically took a single person's longitudinal disease history uh, and compared it against other similar patients to find the most effective treatment pathway based on long-term costs. Uh, we know that cost in the health system is equivalent to patients suffering. The more time you're in the hospital, the more time uh, you're, you spend interacting with your doctors, the less, uh, the less better you are getting, so to speak. So we uh, started Better Path to figure out what treatments work best for who, when, and why. And that was, uh, that was really the, the simple question uh, that began this whole thing. Very interesting. And like, uh, just a little background on your, your master's thesis was called Using Structured Query Language SQL to Stratify a Large-Scale De-Identified Patient Database, Addressing the Top-Down versus Step-Up Treatment Debate an inflammatory bowel disease. And that was just one example of a, of a disease that you chose. But um, how did that experience help to, um, you know, solidify your understanding of SQL and as well as what you're doing now in blockchain? Yeah, uh, that was a really fun project for me, uh, mostly because it, it showed that over the course of 10 years, the publications which were arguing for different treatment approaches for the same disease almost netted out at zero. Uh, you have some some individuals arguing for the top-down approach, which is go more intensive uh, medications first. Others step up, which is least intensive first. Uh, and none of them could agree on what the best pathway was to treat uh, an individual person. Um, and I think it speaks more broadly to the health system's inability to aggregate longitudinal patient histories um, that pretty much prevents us from actually determining um, what treatment approach is best for who. Uh, when we started to develop the patent, the patent really looks at a singular data asset as a feeding engine for multiple different use cases across different stakeholders in the health system. With this single data core of comprehensively rendered medical histories, the use cases that can be fed from that core are relatively endless. Um, you know, whether it's academic research, uh, drug development, um, uh, population health research, um, insurers, pharma, everyone can benefit with an accessible set of long-term information in a single disease or in a single cohort. Um, we built this decentralized system without knowing anything about blockchain. We envisioned that with a network of encryption and decryption mechanisms to protect the identity of the individuals who are contributing their health data, that we'd be able to orchestrate this network effect 
uh, where essentially the data asset is recycled over and over again um, and improves constantly as more information comes in. Um, this is why when we revisited our patent, uh, we came up with the idea that, wow, okay, the language that we actually put in here could be applied uh, to blockchain. Um, and so we, we started to orchestrate these white papers and build out the, the you know, ICO model to, to spin up this thing. And that was about January of, of 2018, right when the SEC came down and said, no more ICOs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took a pause. Um, but essentially, we tagged the, the patent, which is a blockchain patent, with this, this tag of a consumer-directed exchange. Uh, because we learned a long time ago that the only way to get access to a complete medical history is through the individual patient. Um, the patient is the only one who knows all the locations they have sought care um, and the only one who can provide you context outside of the clinical setting, which in many cases is more important uh, for scientific research than just the traditional clinical data. And you know, don't even get me started on, on what constitutes clinical data in our current health system because it's, uh, it's a nightmare. So what do you think is the most challenging barrier for consumers or individuals to own up and start collecting their own data and their own information throughout it's their entire simple. longitudinal health cycle? It's very simple. It's a very poor value exchange. Hmm. Putting in that effort really nets you nothing in the current health system. So if you ever tried to request a medical record from a hospital, you know that that process is... Uh, Cumbersome, I would say. It is, in, it is insane. <laughs> Uh, you know, when we first started uh, retrieving medical records for for uh, our chronic disease patients, uh, I would get questions from these records offices like, "Well, why would the patient want their records?" And you just kind of have to have to pause and and remember that this system that was invented by us uh, was really designed to exclude the individual sources of the data, uh, which are the patients. Um, there's this paternal aspect of medicine that is now starting to die off a little bit, which is great. Uh, but the paternalistic aspect of, of medicine where the doctor is God and he knows everything about you and you shouldn't have to ask questions about what's going on or how this symptom might impact this treatment or vice versa. Uh, that those, those barriers are starting to fall down now, which is you know a wonderful uh, advancement for, I'd say, society in general. Um, what happened in the middle ground between the 70s and I would say now is that we got way too institutionalized in the way that we practice medicine. Uh, We forgot that medicine is a practice and that it needs to be consistently improved. And the only way to consistently improve it is to measure it. And since most of our highest cost centers are chronic disease and we can't measure longitudinal information in the health system, now you see where the current problem is. Hmm. And really the only solution is to motivate people to control and maintain their medical records as an asset, uh, because this asset could essentially, in its aggregate, save the health system a trillion dollars a year. So when you say um, you know, the industry became more institutionalized, can you expand a little bit about you know, what that means? Is it like because people or companies focused more on the billing aspect of things like yeah yeah so we got really good at treating acute illness in the health system right mm-hmm. treating acute illness means you get people in and out of hospitals as quickly as you can episodic uh, care exactly exactly and so you know any any infection you get any uh you know 
less serious acute condition that you that you uh, acquire, um, this can be handled by our health system with relative ease. Uh, unfortunately, now we're dealing with a with a health system that is plagued by chronic disease, um, and not just single chronic diseases, multiple comorbid diseases that we have very little information on how they interact together and how they can be treated together to actually produce a positive outcome. So this, uh, the vocabularies that we invented to transmit information back and forth between health systems, uh, these billing codes that we built, um, these are not able to provide the context that's necessary to actually trace a person's lived experience. Uh, and that's really the only way we can get to a comprehensive record is if we're able to provide that context, right? Connecting what you ate with how you feel or your diet and exercise with your treatment regimen and how those two interact based on your location or based on your ge genetics. Until we have all of the slices of the pie together in a way that they can talk to each other, uh, we're going to have a really tough time figuring out these more complex uh, conditions. Absolutely. I think every day, you know, we generate so much information, most of it gone uncollected. And, you know, that's part of the, the problem, I guess. And what you're proposing, though, is that everyone or people start to collect this information on a more grander scale. Um, everyone obviously should, you know, in your vision would have a wearable device, potentially even uh, recording every meal that they ate. We, we know that's currently kind of difficult for most people or challenging for them to um, you know, collect all this information right now. Do you see a trend in new types of devices or hardware or even cameras that can detect what you're eating in order to help? Like, do you see that yeah. trend happening? Or is I, still I see work? that I see that happening, and that's all well and good. Um, but at a higher level, there are let's call it let's say there are two jobs in the health system, right? There's knowing uh, who you are, and then knowing how to treat, right? The first part, knowing who you are, is is nearly impossible for any doctor that is seeing you for the first, second, or third time, right? Before we had these, this institutionalized system of medicine, you saw one doctor for your whole life, right? And that doctor was able to treat you based off experience. And the, the power of experiential uh, medical practice is um, huge. Doctors aren't able to get that experience with individual patients anymore. Um, what's happening is that they can't do that other job. They don't know who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so patients need to be made responsible for telling the doctor who they are in, you know, through um, a digital representation of their health history. Uh, my argument is that we can actually pay people to do that job and save the system money overall. So let's go into that. How, would, how do you propose we pay people? Like, what, what is the experience like for the typical consumer who wants to I know, get paid for the data that they're generating about their health? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a great example right now of this happening. Um, an initiative uh, under the, the United Health Group called Rally Health. Um, Rally Health has paid out a billion dollars in incentives to consumers uh, over the last 10 years. And they've done it just for these consumers setting and hitting their health goals, right? 
So I imagine, uh, you know, if you extrapolate on that concept, right, if we know that there are certain activities that can generate value in the system overall, right? Rally Health identified the fact that if you take, uh, you know, 10,000 steps every day, right, your health is overall going to be improved and you're going to utilize the system less, saving everyone money, right? And so they are, they are basically paying up front for you to do that. Uh, I want to do a similar thing with health data collection and maintenance, right? Because maintaining the record and curating it is uh, just as difficult as accessing the data itself. Um, right now, as you, as you mentioned, we have petabytes and petabytes of health data being created everywhere. But I often ask this question to people, what is health data? Uh, is it clinical data? Is it your lifestyle? Is it your diet, your exercise, your location, your exposiome, your proteome, your genome? What is health data? And it's my argument is that all of it matters, right? Your finances impact your health in extraordinary ways, right? Social determinants of health. If you don't have the money to afford to go to a doctor, you're not gonna go to the doctor, right? So why aren't we looking at these different slices coming together and contextualizing the narrative to the point where we can actually determine, okay, these are the actual elements impacting this person's health. It's not just a diagnosis code and a prescription and a procedure, right? It is everything that happens in between and those things. And so the only way to really build that set of information that will save the system exorbitant, exorbitant amounts of money um, is to motivate people to do that job that the healthcare system cannot do right now. So how do you say that we do that? Like what kind of, you know, interface will we be, will we be interacting with? Yeah, there's a number of ways to do it. Uh, you can do it without really telling people you're doing it, right? As in, we are going to allow you to authorize the use of your data in return for drastic discounts on your health insurance or uh, a reduction in the cost of, of your prescription drugs, right? Um, I look at this as almost a, you know, a 10-year pathway towards universal basic income, right? Mm -hmm. If you have the low, you know, low-income populations who are costing the health system the most money in a lot of scenarios, these people have a vested interest in not only earning value for what they do every day, but uh, contributing that value and expecting uh, not much in return. Um, you tell someone that they can sell their digital asset for $20 you know, a month, and that $20 a month makes a huge impact on their life, right? And we don't think about that as people who live you know, uh, in some sort of, of comfort and not paycheck to paycheck. Um, but for a lot of people out there who are on Medicaid or who are, you know, unemployed, $20 every month could make a massive change in their life. And I think we have to start thinking that way, right? If we need, if we want to mobilize a group of individuals to prove this model out, right? To prove that we can pay people to be healthy or to pay people to, uh, do that job the health can't do, collecting their data and maintaining it. If we can prove that out in a low-income population, this will introduce a frenzy of activity in, in the industry. Um, and, and really the only concern is people being educated on the power of their digital asset, right? Yeah, I think that's a big one right now, uh, especially because, you know, we're starting to learn about the value of our data and through, you know, 
big company breaches like Facebook, etc. But you know, what makes your company actually different than the other kind of blockchain related healthcare companies that are also trying to motivate people to generate their own tokens and use that money for their health? Yeah, what's what's your differentiation? Yeah, I always I always uh, go back to our ethos, right? And our ethos was to connect science and money, right? We believe that the connection between uh, a rigorous scientific data set that is traditionally used in an academic setting and uh, how that data set could be applied into in financial models to actually provide the best care for people, we patented that connection back in 2012. And this is, again, the, the system that we built um, is inherently decentralized because everyone is sharing the same data asset. Uh, so we didn't start a blockchain company. Um, we started a company to solve a problem, and blockchain just happens to be likely the best solution for it. Now, I still think it's years away from being uh, relevant in terms of our use case. And because it's essentially one function that has to... Uh, occur in order for it to to be needed and that's adoption right you need mass adoption across consumers across their trusted entities like their banks and their healthcare providers and their insurers uh, you need everyone being directed by from the bottom up right the consumer needs to be directing people directing other stakeholders uh, with how the data should be used accessed um, and controlled uh, and, you know, this kind of goes back to the concept of data ownership. And I really hate that term because data is liquid and it can be recycled and it can be kept in many different places, none of which actually own it, so to speak. Now, legally, the only state in the country that uh, gives patients ownership over their data is New Hampshire, right? All the other states have a, the legal precedent that the hospital or the doctor or the provider is the owner of the medical record. Um, that's all well and good, right? And that singular medical record has value. But imagine all of the medical records together. Aren't they more valuable together than apart? The Absolutely. Is, Definitely. Yes. I think the network effects of health data could, you know, give us or give researchers the opportunity to find things that we have just been missing because no one's really been able to collect that data set and look into it. Um, very interesting about New Hampshire as well, live free or die state. So that's right. <laughs> it makes a little sense there. Um, can you tell me about how the company is structured and then kind of go into the business model? I'm, I'm curious, are you a direct to consumer? Do you work with businesses? Who are your customers? Yeah. So right now we are enabling companies that are going direct to consumer to solve critical problems of health data access and interoperability. Um, I know interoperability is a trigger word for a lot of people. Um, and I, I, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by, by these crotchety academics who have taught me a lot about uh, how data works and how information can be generated from it. Right now, the gap between data and information is vast, hmm. right? Unless what we're looking at essentially in the current sphere is a giant mess Right. We have no ability to make sense of all the information, all the, all the data that we are generating and process it into information. Um, but it's essential to do that. Uh, but the only way to do it is to, provide, is to build context into the data. Um, only way to get context is to get, obviously, the consumer in the middle. 
Um, but once that happens, once we actually have that information in the longitudinal data set, this is the foundation of intelligence, right? And so when people talk about AI in medicine, um, I, I qu quiver every time because we don't even have I yet, let alone artificial versions of intelligence. Uh, if we don't know as doctors, as insurers, as researchers, if we don't know what works right now, how could we ever set up a model that could learn things we haven't figured out yet, right? And you know there are approaches to doing it, but until all of the data, all the inputs are rendered into a singular addressable language, there's really no way to take these big data sets, crunch them, and uh, produce an output that means anything. Um, and I think there's a lot of examples of that in the market. I mean, you look at things like IBM Watson that promised a lot of things, but ended up you know, crunching singular data assets, trying to determine contextual variables, and it just didn't work. Um, Better Path is structured to be an enabler, right? We have a set of software assets and a set of service assets that uh, enable companies to solve these critical problems. Um, and so, you know, we're working across enterprise, midsize, small business, startup, uh, you name it. Um, and the goal is to really just get people to think about how data is captured and transformed into information in a way that maximizes its value. So I did have a question about the interoperability portion. Are patients inputting their own data themselves or are they retrieving data directly from EMRs that has already been generated at a hospital, for example, or both? Uh, I would say both. Um, our original service, which uh, you know, was, a, was a personal health record, right? Um, we're no longer providing that personal health record. Uh, we are providing, however, the structure of that and the framework for it to enable other companies to save a year and a half uh, of development time so we can just piggyback on the work we've already done. Hmm. Um, so processing data from any input and categorizing it into a thesaurus of concepts is really where our interoperability chip lies. Uh, it does not matter to us where the data comes from because it's all rendered into natural language. Uh, and this natural language can basically feed a bi-directional interoperability engine um, based on an open source system called the Unified Medical Language System. Um, and this was uh, started back in 1986 uh, under the National Libraries of Medicine and has been taxpayer funded since that uh, since that date um, and updated twice yearly. Uh, and it creates a map between concepts identified in natural language and structured vocabularies that are used to transmit health information traditionally. So it allows you to take a code, break it into its concept, and then ask it a question, right? When you like say code, how many... do you mean like a um, clinical code, a CPT code? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because all of those codes have uh, a string attached to them, right? And the string is the text that explains what that code means. And so that in and of itself, that concept is connected across the different structured vocabularies um, and then basically sits in a metathesaurus is what they call it. Uh, and that metathesaurus then maps to um, the a, a semantically defined uh, table and the table could be a symptom or a procedure or a diagnosis or a condition or any of those uh, categories. Um, 
but it, it allows you to go from the natural text to the code and, and vice versa. And so that's what we've been testing and, and, and piloting in our own system and uh, soon in, in other people's systems as well. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. As of January 21st, 2019, the day this episode was published, it's been over 30 days since the U.S. government has been shut down due to an impasse between President Trump and congressional Democrats. This is causing some government employees to not receive their rightfully earned paychecks, straining both their families and their communities. The Food and Drug Administration Commissioner, Scott Gutleib, warned on Friday that if the partial government shutdown persists, it will force the FDA to make hard decisions on preserving key functions of the agency. This is causing many drug application submissions to be delayed. The FDA says it has five weeks of funding left before it runs out of money to approve new drugs. But I challenge you to consider the possible upside of an extended government shutdown. It's possible a new form of regulatory and governance body can form to replace the broken system of false democracy in our country. Do you think it's possible for more transparent democratic systems to form that are actually in touch with our modern data-driven world? Blockchain-based networks like BitNation and Democracy.Earth have already proposed the idea of decentralized voluntary borderless nations to displace or augment traditional nation-states. Although I think this is a fascinating concept, it will probably take a very long time for people to adopt such systems. The current government shutdown may shine light to the potential of these new blockchain jurisdictions. The safety of our consumers should not depend on federal funding or political battles. We should all act as one trusted community. I believe decentralized and distributed data markets will eventually help make this a reality. And now back to the show with Matt Cinderbrand from Better Path. Do you imagine the Better Path platform to be also connected to providers and clinicians? Like, are they, are, are patients going to be sending their files to these providers or is it, are they going to be connected via some sort of integration yeah. to an existing EMR? So I think what's, what's great about, you know, the model that we're presenting is it piggybacks off of technologies that are already being established today, right? Apple and their uh, iOS health app connecting into, you know, different versions of Epic and different health systems. Uh, there are a number of other companies doing similar things more on the private side. Um, but these people are doing the hard work for us, right? And when you look at kind of the, the industry-wide standards initiatives like FHIR um, and, and Blue Button and all that, uh, all that stuff, um, the better those standards get, the easier it is for us to extract that information. Um, I read recently that FHIR is uh, going to start supporting clinical notes, meaning that you can get an entire clinical narrative through an API. And that for me is a golden scenario. Um, what I'd really love to explore with uh, you know, uh, our, our early partners is this concept that we can take a medical record that is being essentially transcribed by a doctor's narrative and intercept that narrative directly and pipe it directly into our system, which breaks it out into its concepts immediately, essentially creates a positive feedback loop where the 
administrative tasks become a lot easier because the concepts are already connected to the clinical codes that are necessary to map and actually uh, support the billing process. So there's a lot of ways we can go with it. Um, what we've built is a, is, is a science platform, right? And now what we're doing is showing people that we can connect their business case into our scientific uh, engine. So can you give me an example of one business case that can be used? I mean, we mentioned some examples, but maybe like break it down for me so I really can understand sure. how your platform uh, works downstream of FHIR and all these uh, Sure. Startups. Sure, yeah. Um, let's go with the startup use case. Uh, there's a new industry coming about called, uh, we'll call it personal data autonomy, right? You own and control your data uh, and you can... Um, determine whether it's monetized or donated to research, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all of these business models depend on achieving critical mass in a certain cohort and transacting a data set with a buyer, right? Mm -hmm. Our protocol enables companies that are trying to get to that critical mass to compete with, you know, the traditionally available data products, not based on volume, but based on depth. Right. We can enable companies, uh, we can enable a data buyer to query a data set across different contextual elements instead of buying access to five different databases to build that context themselves. Right. A pharma company doesn't want to spend their resources and their time figuring out what those five anonymized data sets mean when they're brought together. Right. A lot of the times the anonymized data set is uh, horrendously duplicative and inaccurate and essentially gives you a trend to look at. It doesn't actually answer a question. So when you're looking at what the future, what the data products of the future look like, they're going to be deep, not big. Uh, so we're looking to pilot that, essentially that business case with a lot of the companies we're working with right now. Um, Pharma wants a better data product. I know that because I interact with them often. Uh, they just don't have anywhere else to go right now. They have to buy these things from IQVIA, IMS Health, whatever you want to call them, uh, and Axios and, and, and the like, uh, because it's the only thing out there. And it's, it's really the only thing they know exists. Uh, so we're going to show them there's a much better way. Do you know if those companies that are currently, you know, the major stakeholders like IQVIA, are they looking into your types of business models or are they fighting hard to not allow that trend to become a thing? Oh, I'm sure they're not even really paying attention to it at this point. I don't think it's impacting their revenue at all. Uh, the, the, the problem with these big companies, I guess the best part about these big companies is that they have boards of directors who uh, will not allow initiatives like that, that are so divorced from the current business model to uh, to occur, right? Even if you have a crazy CEO who's like, we're gonna do this, yeah. uh, that doesn't matter because the board is like, no, you're not. Um, so the big companies out there that are in a position to execute on something like this are really hindered by uh, the big company mindset. Um, you know, slow to change, uh, really de you know, uh, risk averse. Right. These are all the things that that are preventing these larger stakeholders from actually taking the leap and doing what's right. Um, right that so said, yeah. you know, you have, you have companies like United Health who are running these, these rally programs and paying out a billion dollars to consumers. 
So the business case is there, right, for incentivized behavior modification. Um, and not just with some, you know, swag or anything like that with actual cash. Uh, we're going to pilot that business case across many companies um, who we seek to establish a cooperative approach with. Uh, and the cooperative approach allows everyone to build into the same critical mass, right? And doing so uh, creates opportunities for these businesses to actually prove out their, their models, capture revenue, um, and become sustainable. Uh, you know, having watched this industry for the past eight years, um, this is what we're seeing in, in this kind of personal health uh, blockchain thing. Um, this has happened before. And it, it what do you mean back it's happened before? So when Better Path started, mm -hmm. uh, we were one of, I would say, 10 um, personal health record initiatives out there, right? You had Microsoft Health Vault coming in. You had Apple Care Kit, Apple Research Kit, whatever kit you want to call it. Um, and then uh, Google Health, which started and ended within two years. Um, and then I would say five to six others that actually survived long enough to make it to this point. And then hundreds more that didn't, right? And I have a running list of these companies just because it gives me, uh, I don't know, it gives me, it gives me some, some kind of drive, right, to keep going because what we're seeing here is the second wave of this personal health IT or personal, uh, you know, medical record control uh, phenomenon occurring. Um, this time, it just happens to have the word blockchain attached to it. Right. One thing that you mentioned is people will be paid in cash. And when you said, do you mean literally in U.S. dollars or is, will it be some sort of tokenized asset that they will be paid in? I would love if. Here's here's the here's the scenario, right? People have incredibly limited attention spans, right? Sure. They want to push a button and get a reward. They want to push a button and feel good, right? And so we have to take it from that base level. And at that base level, what we want, what we believe is the most uh, effective behavior modification model, right? Getting people to care about their health data. The most effective model is to make it seem like they are winning, right? Each time you log into this app, each time you touch a button, you are getting value. You are getting uh, a reward, right? And I would love if it was cash. I would love if, it, if people cared enough about crypto to make that actually relevant. However, I just don't think the general public is ready to be rewarded in tokens and actually feel that same dopamine hit. Oh, you get. mean you, you would love if it was crypto? I would love it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you said I mean, cash. I just want to make it clear. And so you would, it would love it, if it was crypto. It would, absolutely. And it, it makes it way easier. It makes the money way, way more traceable. Uh, the value exchange becomes way more feasible. But people don't care about crypto. And, and it's that's more the liquid. In a way, absolutely right? absolutely it makes sense in all the characteristics but human behavior doesn't follow any logical patterns which is something i've learned uh the hard way um what i believe is that crypto is is too too intimidating for people that aren't involved in technology or who aren't techies to learn about and when people aren't learning about something that's that you and I both believe is incredibly important, convincing them to learn about it. That's not, that's not how you do those things. Right. 
to, to really modify human behavior in the, in the healthcare system, you have to figure out incentive models that are burdenless, that are lightweight, that are literally all focused on UX, right? The, the companies that are going to win in this space are going to make, make it seem like uh, I have to do nothing to essentially get a new, a new product, a new, a new type of value it's like out a new of my of income, really. Exactly, exactly, and and that's what we have to start going towards, right? Any company I see out there that is espousing the benefits of their blockchain, I, I have difficulty believing them because I haven't really seen a blockchain use case in healthcare yet. Um, enterprise blockchain is essentially intranet. Right, you're you're creating a more expensive, slower database to perform the functions that could just be performed by a traditional cloud and some fancy encryption. Uh, a, a really neat blockchain use case that I've been thinking about is something that could accelerate medical research drastically. Right, think about uh, the institutional review board process, and for people who are involved in medical research, that means that uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of old guys and, and a bunch of old men and women are sitting around a table reviewing your research studies to determine whether or not it proposes any harm to human subjects. That barrier in the research process is massive. Where I know because we had to cross it and it took us about 18 months and $2 million to do so. Um, what if we could create a smart contract that uh, essentially shows you've gone through an informed consent process, you know that you're participating in a research study, and another contract on the end that basically says this research study has been, or sorry, this data set has been approved by a, a board of advisors, right? Or, or a research committee. Um, the process that I just described right now takes eight months to actually get done, right? If we actually put those processes on a blockchain where it's a network of people just agreeing that these individuals have gone through that process, that expedites the research process just in, in, in an exceptional way. Um, and so those are the kind of use cases that I'm really interested in. Uh, another one is the fax machine, right? How do we get all health systems off of the fax machine? We are, 75% uh, of the information we're communicating is still done by fax machine. Um, and, and I know that because I've, I've dealt with uh, these medical records offices for you know, the past eight years. Um, the fax machine, I, I want someone to invent the fax chain, right? So we need to put the fax machines on a blockchain because I, I, I just can't stand the fact that with all of our advancements in technology and the fact that I can open up a bank account in five minutes on my phone, right? And I still can't get access to any of my medical records. I don't know. Let's, I mean, those people should just first start with email. I think that would be a good, a good start. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, then they could start considering blockchain as a method for exchanging that kind of information over instead of faxing, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious about the consumer directed exchange and there's something in your white paper, uh, that discusses or illustrates what a signal is and it's similar mm -hmm. to what a query is. So you can have the data buyer query out some of the information out on the network. And, um, once they find the right data set, the people who own that data set will get reimbursed some amount of money. And, you know, can you describe that process a little bit more deeply and how, how do you make money in that example? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we make, so let's go through the example first. Uh, we have a drug development company, 
um, interested in finding out uh, how many people have switched their statin medication over the last three years from drug A to drug B and are diagnosed with cardiovascular disease, right? That right there is a query, okay? That query will have a price put on it, right? Essentially a bidding system, right? So the pharma company is, this is what we're willing to pay for this level of information is what they're telling us. We then go and query the liquid data set, right? And I say liquid because the data lives in concepts. It doesn't live in codes, right? So it doesn't take shape until you ask it a question. So mm -hmm. you define the high level characteristics of the data set you're after, which is men in between the age of 34 and 60 who have been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease and have taken these two drugs in the past, you know, five years. Um, and you pull that, that query, right? Or essentially that query uh, has a value coefficient assigned to it. And that's what we talked about with the signals. So this signal coefficient essentially defines how much value gets propagated throughout the rest of the system and assigned to the individual sources, uh, both the individual sources and the vehicles by which their data came through, right? So this opens up the opportunity for um, consumer facing companies who have that relationship of trust with the individual to become nodes on the network as well, right? So it's not just individuals, it's the organizations that they trust. And the, the CDEX model is, you know, has been um, popularized by uh, a, an industry trade group called the Karen Alliance. Um, and, you know, I love the work that they're doing, but this is an old idea. This idea dates back to around 1998, right? And it was called the Bank of Health. Um, and essentially it's all of, uh, it's a person going to a bank with all of their medical history, storing that medical history with that bank and authorizing that bank to ask is their steward uh, to use that data um, essentially to maximize its value, either for them or for commercial purposes. Uh, moving forward, an organization called the Health Record Banking Alliance was established 10, 15 years ago, also under the same concept, right? Where if you have a singular data asset controlled by the individual and their steward, you can maximize its value across the ecosystem by essentially distributing that to the stakeholders who need it. Hmm. Uh, and in, in the easiest sense, it's uh, an emergency room doctor, right? You go into an emergency room, doctor literally has no idea who you are, what you have, what's going on. Uh, they, they ping your bank of health, they ping your health record bank, they get access to all that info, and now they actually have uh, a much smaller target to hit. Um, so the concept in and of itself is really not new. What we're trying to bring to it is almost a, a financial mechanism um, that would make it look more like a commodities market, right? So if data, is, if data is a commodity and those commodities are valuable in a marketplace, right? We can create little pockets of value based on uh, the marketplace demand for certain, for example, disease cohorts, right? So if that query that I uh, discussed earlier um, had a value attached to it, that means that, that asset has been evaluated, right? And the more times that asset is pinged or different versions of that asset are pinged. Now we can use something like a distributed ledger to tag all of those individual elements of value back to their source. And so that's why I think this, this model actually is really a great blockchain use case. 
That's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the Health Record Banking Alliance. I actually did an episode with their executive director. Um, I think it was episode four, or three or four, or something. Oh, like is that. it Dr. Gibson? Or yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. Richard Gibson. I, lo- I love Richard. Yeah, and that, in that episode, he went over like basically the whole evolution of electronic health records. So that was a really interesting episode. So for all you listeners out there, you know, you should check that out. That whole process is really interesting. I think the question I have is how do, how does it get priced initially? Like, what is the first price of that's this the, query? That's a difficult thing. It has to be set by the buy side of the marketplace, essentially. Um, and the first couple companies, the first couple buyers to come in are going to get a great price. Yeah, um, but essentially, exactly. once this market evolves into something that's more, you know, of a, of a free market looking thing, Right, where supply and demand are, are interacting freely and transacting. Uh, that's when the prices will be set. And you know, right now we're looking at a, a market for health data around $70 billion, I think. Um, that is $70 billion. That $70 billion is being spent on data products that are trash, right? They are almost unusable, hmm. uh, how bad they are. Um, they give you trends, they don't give you answers. So imagine the, pro- the, the actual value of a well-categorized information asset, right? Where you're actually getting answers, not guesses, to what you know the actual data is saying about this population. Um, and so I believe you know that 70 billion that we're looking at right now will expand drastically uh, once this model um, becomes popularized. Right, and once more data, we're generating more data on a daily basis. Um, but do you think that you know initially the buyers will have a great deal, and also the data owners will be getting a little bit of cash because their data is not going to be valued as high as it will be in the future. Do you think that you're just going to let the market kind of dictate? And that that's what it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not tricking myself into believing that this is going to happen next year. Um, sure. I know this is a long tail, uh, right. in terms of the bet that, that we're making. Um, but our job is to help everyone get there collectively. Uh, it's really the only way to upend the, the third-party data brokerage market is to present their buyers with a better product. Uh, and I think that it's possible. I think it's feasible. And I think that the technology that we've built enables that. Um, but it doesn't matter until it's used again, right? It's all about adoption. And so our goal is to spread these tentacles as far and wide as we can and enable everyone to benefit from the collective work that we're doing uh, that is really going towards the same direction, but in just different pockets. Um, so I think there's space for everyone to play. And, and this market is so nascent that, you know, there's an ocean of value to be tapped out there. Um, and I don't even think we scratch the surface. Interesting. A question for a question from some of our like more uh, techie people, uh, more blockchain type people. Do you mind sharing like which blockchain protocol or base layer that you're using for uh, what you're building out now? Uh, so we are not using any uh, blockchain right now. Um, essentially, we don't believe it's going to be needed until there's a network of 10 to 15 different entities who have no reason to trust each other uh, coming together to, to agree upon how data is acquired, evaluated, and transacted in an open marketplace. Um, at that point, that could be two years, five years, 10 years down the line, right? So we have no idea what the evolution of kind of the blockchain technology world is going to look like at that point. And so once we have a need for blockchain, 
that's when we'll decide what the best approach uh, looks like. So right now you're more focused on building the infrastructure to manage all the data in a more comprehensive and understandable way so you can present it as information to the data buyers in an, an elegant way. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, we're hyper focused on these on piloting these initiatives right now um, and having good traction, getting uh, getting this stuff out there. Um, can, can you share some of the long, long road? So what do you think the best way is to actually, you know, infiltrate the consumer and make them the owners of their own data? But in the same time, gathering cash from that or gathering money in a way or having an account that can accumulate funds? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a fantastic question. Um, what's really cool is that structures currently exist uh, in our financial system uh, that provide a great connection between a person's health and their finances. Uh, and those are health savings accounts. Um, and what people don't know about health savings accounts is that they are the most powerful retirement tool that you can invest in. Um, the money that you put in there is tax-free and the money that you take out for health-related expenses is tax-free. But after the age of 65, you can withdraw any growth in that account without paying tax on it, without paying any capital gains. And so just like a 401k or a Roth IRA, these health savings accounts can essentially be used to just maximize your contributions of value into uh, and, and create a sustainable retirement account that actually helps you pay for what you need to pay for in retirement, which is your healthcare. <laughs> uh, so it, it presents a really unique value proposition to essentially use that structure as a way to drive value, fiat value, that results from the data transactions uh, into an account that the money essentially lives in tax-free. Um, and so it creates much more value uh, for the consumer to use this kind of health savings account structure um, to to do that activity. And so we're working with uh, a couple of banks right now to establish um, a potential partnership uh, where we would uh, pilot this, this process where people are being motivated to collect and contribute their health data um, into these different monetization schemes. How's the culture on your team? Like what's your day to day like with, with your team? What's the attitude? And... Yeah, we're pretty all over the place. Uh, you know, we, we, we had a heavy footprint for a while, um, went through a little bit of a restructure. Um, now we're running nice and light and thin, um, which is, it's good. It's good for what we want to do. Um, but essentially, yeah, we're all pretty crazy people, uh, who believe that the future is bright, um, believe that we can have an impact on it. Um, and, and really, we are relentless collaborators and cooperators. Uh, we don't think that competition in a marketplace that doesn't yet exist uh, is a concern. Um, and so that's really our, our fundamental goal is to really get uh, everyone believing that you know, there's a way to tackle this huge problem together. Um, and, and that's really what the majority of my conversations are around. Very cool. If it's not too personal, would you consider what would you consider to be your biggest mistake throughout the um, the last you know six to eight years? Not seeing the consumer adoption barrier uh, as it was clear as day. Um, hmm. The assumption that if you build it, they will come 
is wrong. You're, you're misleading yourself if you believe that the thing that you love so much and hold so dear and the thing that provides so much value to you as an individual is going to feel the same way to someone else, right? Even in, you know, Better Path's specific example, right, where we were building complete longitudinal medical records for people uh, with long-term illness um, and giving them away for free, uh, even in that scenario, we still found resistance among the patient population because they just don't know how important it is to do that job. And again, I go back to why we should pay people to essentially maintain their health information because it's a job. It's, it takes effort, right. right? Even all the technology in the world can't wipe away the fact you still have to sign a medical record release form and you still have to remember your login and log into your API and all of these different things that, that you know, create that health data asset. And so that's where I really want to get, that's where, that's where I want to take this company, right? It's to really focus on the financial mechanics of why consumer controlled health data is better for everyone in the system. Um, and I think it's going to get there. And I do believe that blockchain will have a huge impact once that connection is made. Previous to that, however, I think we're still going to be spinning our wheels and, you know, I hope there's not too many, um, too many bodies on the ground at the end. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, the psychology of the consumer is very complex and, well, some might argue it's very simple, but, um, it still hasn't been cracked. And I think, you know, with new incentives, utilizing blockchain as an example, uh, we might be able to influence them and help them manage their own health as well as share it with the right people and um, maintain their health uh, moving forward. I got like a last question for you here. Who is your favorite business leader or scientist that you either admire or you look up to? That question for me is pretty easy. Um, Dr. William Yasnov, uh, who was an, one of the founders of the Health Record Banking Alliance, and he's the current president over there. Um, Bill is <laughs> Bill is an incredible person because he has been arguing for what we are talking about, uh, but more on the medical side, mm -hmm. uh, for about 20 years, right? And he was actually a part of the uh, the team under the Bush administration that created the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. And he was essentially across the negotiating table with the CEO of Epic at the time when the, uh, the decision was made to have a provider-centric model for health IT as opposed to a consumer-centric model. And so since that time, he's basically just been pounding the table uh, and his head against many walls, um, convincing people of the business case for this consumer controlled model. Um, and so I, I look up to him uh, almost as if I have, you know, a sports poster, just like kids have Michael Jordan <laughs> in, their, in their room. I've got Dr. Yaznov. Nice. <laughs> well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Um, is there any last words you want to leave the audience with? How can they reach you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hit me up at matt at betterpath.com. Follow me on Twitter at MT Cinderbrand. Uh, I would love to talk to anyone interested in how a cooperative future creates more value for everyone. Um, and, and yeah, I, uh, appreciate and when you the said, time, do you right? mean like, uh, stakeholders all over the healthcare industry or all stakeholders aside from PBMs and clearinghouses will benefit from this model. PBMs and clearinghouses 
are enterprises of inefficiency. That's how they earn revenue. So they're going to go, they're going to die by the wayside. And I think the call for them to die is, is increasing every day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, listen, an insurer doesn't want to pay for medications that don't work. A doctor doesn't want to prescribe something that's not going to get someone better. Right. Mm -hmm. And a pharma company obviously doesn't want to invest a billion and a half dollars to develop a drug that isn't going to have an impact. Right. All the, all these companies can feed off the same asset, the same central data core. Right. And if we can incentivize people to contribute to that core, there's really no limit to the applications that it can afford. Agree. I just have one last question, actually, because you mentioned clearing houses. I don't know if you've heard about uh, Change Healthcare's adoption of some blockchain, um, I guess, networks and their continued research into that. Would they be a outlier or do you still put them in the same bucket? I would say they are kind of an outlier because they're really trying to nail that transition point. Uh, um, but, you know, when, when you have if you have widespread adoption across a, let's call it a region, right? Because I really do think it's going to be uh, regional and community-based and local-based efforts that show the most traction. Um, if you have everyone in a region interacting on that same change healthcare node, that is phenomenal. And that's going to work. And it's going to create more efficiency. But essentially what a clearinghouse does is take a provider, a provider standard format uh, crunch it into a payer standard format and, uh, you know, expedite the transaction cycle. Why can't, I, what I don't understand is why payers can't just interact directly with providers. Like that to me, hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Um, but that's the system we, we created, right? We created these silos and we created industries in between these silos just to provide the translation. Um, and so that's going to take a while to go away. Um, but really money talks, right? And if we can show the stakeholders that are paying those companies that there's more value in direct interaction, in achieving agreement through blockchain, uh, that's going to be a great day. Absolutely. Like my, uh, one of my old professors used to say, Ned Reimer used to say, uh, follow the money and you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ray. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.